this is out of bounds. This is out of bounds. We back in the back of a Cadillac here on the note. And I have a voice. You've got a voice. That's me, O'Brien. I'm John Alba. Last week we were off. Too many travels. Mia still was missing part of her vocal nodules. And uh, the week before, Jordan Katz and I laid down because Mia had her tonsils taken out. So we are reunited and ready to go here. How are you, my friend? Good to chat with you once again. Yes, a happy belated Easter, uh, Easter Monday, if you may. And of course, a happy post-Masters week um, and happy baseball season because we haven't yes. talked since baseball season officially got underway. Yes, it is the best season which is baseball season. I know some will disagree with that, but... And before we get into our show, John, mm -hmm. since I'm looking at our rundown right now... Okay. You don't have it listed, but you okay. made a very important decision over the last three weeks. Did I? What will your New York Yankees bit be oh, for yes. 2023? The bit is when they win, I am optimistic about the 2023 New York Yankees. When they lose, I am pessimistic about the 2023 New York Yankees. And... People have yet to pick up on this being a bit yet, because every time I tweet about it, I get a serious response to it. I'm so very proud of you for doing that, because like I really think I need to adopt something like that. I think I may just tweet out the Joe Girardi. It's not what you want whenever they lose. And maybe that's maybe that's how I do it's it. Just, I've, I've been doing this is the third season in a row now. I've had a Yankee bit after each game, and it takes people entirely way too long to pick up on the bit, like way too long. Like last year, I did the whole I, for one, am grateful I doubted or I, for one, am grateful I never doubted this team. And it took people until like August to pick up on what I was going for here. And now this one, it's taken a little bit of time too. we'll see if they pick it up. If you're watching Out of Bounds here on Know Your News, this is me telling you what the bit is. I'm, I'm letting you in on this. So this is the bit. OK, but yeah, baseball season's back. We're going to talk about baseball here uh, in this podcast. And uh, we want to hear your thoughts on what's been going on in the sports world. KYNchat.com. Let us know what is on your mind. We'll read those super chats. Or if it's even easier, you're watching on YouTube. You just go in the chat and you leave a super chat comment and we'll read it on air. That's how we do it every single week here on Out of Bounds. So uh, how you feeling? Get catch everyone up. You had your tonsils taken out. You're an adult on the ice cream diet. What's what's the deal here? Yes. Um, so if you've uh, ever had a tonsillectomy uh, as an adult, which evidently, uh, John, they did really take a hiatus from taking tonsils out. I know you obviously had yours taken out as Very a kid, um, but unless it was absolutely necessary mm. per the doctors that I worked with at the Mayo Clinic, which shout out to the Mayo Clinic from 1990 to 2010, essentially, if kids just got strep a lot, they were like, man. If the parents aren't pushing the issue, we're not going to take it out. And that is why they've seen such a rise in adults needing their tonsils out. Uh, and that's part of why science has advanced to a point where, you know, forever it was taboo for the adults to get their tonsils out. But now we're able to. And uh, and I, I, you know, obviously I got it taken out three weeks this Wednesday. And I think I sound kind of like I sounded before. Yeah. Apparently my New York, New Jersey accent comes out a little bit more now. Uh, I think because I'm speaking mm. from my diaphragm. But to answer your question with regards to what I've been eating, um, I was blessed. Like I could stomach everything. I didn't have to take the painkillers. I was just on a steady uh -huh. Tylenol diet. Um, I could, you know, everything was good. Um, I actually, uh, you of all people will appreciate um, one of, because I was still for two and a half weeks, I was on a soft food diet. Um, 
my two primary soft foods, uh, or two of the many were, uh, crab cakes and scallops. And since my parents were here, I wasn't even paying for them. So it was mm. fantastic. Oh, okay. Um, yep. So they obviously are mushier. You Not know, a bad seafood. diet. No, it was great. Um, eggs were another one. And that one, you know, like if you had to eat them lukewarm and that kind of, I, 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 I had to, I know you hate eggs. You, you hate eggs here? in general. What so. are you doing here? So, oh, so that wasn't goodness. great. Yogurt, which I'm not a huge fan, but like we did some smoothies and stuff. A lot of like yogurt, not a big fan, but give me those lukewarm eggs. Jeez. Yeah, I know. Ugh. So peanut Ugh. butter a little bit. Yeah, it was it was tough, but uh finally, you know, I got approval on Thursday. I'm back right. full throttle. And uh with that said though, as we're ready for our toast, John Allen, for tonight's show, um, the real thing that got me through every morning I would wake up and I would have the best investment that I made pre-tonsillectomy, homemade popsicles. So got them on Amazon. They're the molds with the little the, the stick thing. Okay. So that's plastic. My mom, because mind you, like my boyfriend and I were Googling all these like recipes and flavors mm -hmm. and like specialty stuff. And then uh, and then my mom shows up and I was at work that first day before my surgery and she just starts pouring apple juice into them. And I'm like, what are you doing? Well, evidently, yeah. apple juice on a popsicle, you when you can't really eat a lot, is the move. Okay. So this is one of the final ones. Interesting. So, well, cheers I to uh, surgery and a WrestleMania complete. Yeah, I'll I'll get some ASMR here. There it is. Mm -hmm. Yummy. I'm not even kidding. I literally, like, my mom or Kevin would have to bring me one of these every morning. I'd wake up and I would just feel like stuffy in my throat and now I just you might be five I am five we also did smoothie ones which I'm really excited to try okay. and then also like I because I was like googling we have a birthday cake one for this summer birthday. and like yeah I'm so excited to try all these like specialty yeah, ones I would be like a wagyu steak popsicle or something like that anyway a man who would have been able to afford some nice Japanese A5 wagyu had he won the masters would be Brooks Kepka. But unfortunately for Brooks Kepka, uh, he collapsed a little bit at the Masters. This dude had like a five-stroke lead. He was your leader after 54. Make your live golf jokes all you want here, okay? And John Rahm comes from behind after Kepka uh, collapses just a little bit in the final round. Phil Mickelson, live golf savior, manages to finish in second, the oldest man ever to finish in the top Did five. Did you know he's growing the game by going to live golf? Right, exactly. This would have been a massive win for Liv had Kepka or Mickelson won, but instead, John Rahm does. What is the significance of those guys coming up short, if there is any, in your opinion, Mia? No, I think it's a win for Liv, regardless. Um, by pure nature of when Greg Norman created the Live Golf League, it was to create chaos and to create a scene. The simple fact that on a Sunday at Augusta, nationwide we're tuning in and we are all looking around like oh my god the villains the the troublemakers they could win it all they could win we could have greg norman even though he wasn't there and his live people charging the 18th green because phil mickelson said if a live golfer wanted he was going to charge the green and celebrate on the 18th green at augusta national which would have been a sight to see if anything um no, so I think it's a win because they're in the news. Um, I think if anything, though, at least in my conversations and obviously, you know, living in the 
world golf headquarters that is Jacksonville and Ponte Vedra Beach. If anything, people don't want to talk about that storyline because now they feel like it's overused. If anything, the storyline is Brooks Kepka after his you know successful first 36 holes of the weekend said, you know, if I was playing the golf I'm playing now, I may have done it differently. And that is where we leave the door open a little bit to yeah. Brooks Kepka. And if you watch Full Swing on Netflix, it's on full display where he essentially went to live because he thought this week last year at the Masters when he missed the cut, he thought he was done. And so he took the money grab because he couldn't guarantee what the future held. Instead, his body got right. He won an Orange uh, Orange County National for the Live Golf Orlando event. And now he comes up in second in the Masters. And so, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens for a variety of reasons with Live Golf in the weeks and months and years to come. But if players like Brooks try to go back, well, Does they, Jay they can't just go them. back. They've got these contracts that are pretty ironclad. And I was looking at the outs because there, there was a chance that uh, there were players, there were talks of maybe trying to get out of it. And the penalties for trying to get out of these contracts are insane. Now, would they hold up at a court of law? Who's to say? But it does. I don't know. I mean, I, like, it kind of made me sad. It kind of made me sad. Because... I'm not sitting here saying that the PGA was perfect. PGA wasn't perfect. The PGA absolutely could have been paying more to the players. The cuts could have been higher for the players. And for what it's worth, now they are because of the pressure applied to the list. Right. So I get that. But it does make the game worse where you don't have all the best players in the world playing on the top circuit. Yep. So when you see Kepka and you see a great round from Mickelson who – is now maybe the most polarizing man in all golf, period. If not sports. It, it makes you sad because you're like, we could be getting this week in and week out, but we're not, and we're not going to. It's going to be a long time before we ever do again. Golf already had a problem where its top stars were interchangeable. Nobody was getting ahead of the field as the guy. No one was Tiger. And you can't expect anyone to be Tiger. Tiger was a phenomenal. People did, but that's unfair. What I agree, what is but people there, do. People still. I saw it all over the internet this week. Unless Tiger's in contention, I'm not watching. Well, then that's on them. But what what is fair is to hope that someone establishes themselves as the top guy in golf, and that just hasn't happened. Every time you thought it was going to be Rory, Rory would have a setback. Every time you thought it was going to be Kepka, Kepka would have a setback. Speed. You know. Spieth, Spieth is the ultimate example. It looked like Spieth was maybe going to be the next Tiger. And then he had a big setback. So that is a problem in and of itself for the PGA. Then when you take some of these established names like the Kepkas, the DeChambos, the Mickelsons, you take them off the tour, an event like this, it just, it almost provides even more ill will, in my opinion, about live than it does good. I know you think it's good, but I think it turns the public opinion against that even furthermore. Against Liv or against the tour? Against Liv, because Liv is taking these guys away. Every sport needs a villain, though. And the reality was Every outside sport of- needs a villain in their own containment, their confines. Mm-hmm. Liv is not within the confines of the PGA. Who's the villain on the PGA Tour right now? Because Patrick Reed left. I mean, it can't lay. I mean, just because he plays no, slow? I mean, there, there really isn't one, right? So, right. But, but that Liv being the villain does not... Ryson is with the live, but live being the villain is not Brooks is with live. the PGA forward. It's not in in the neutral sense. 
I mean, I did enjoy a little bit of the trolling Jim Nance. I don't know if you saw this. CW. Jeff hit a ball, and uh, he goes, there it is on the CW, the crosswalk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. If people was... were mad about Jim's final call, come on now. That was the real highlight of his come on of the 87th Masters final round. Um, No, I, you know, I think it's sad for the sport because if we had turned the clocks back a year or two years and you saw that final leaderboard, that at the top is John Rahm, the number one golfer in the world. It is Phil Mickelson setting records at 52. It's Brooks Kepka. It's Jordan Spieth. And even if you stay within the top 10, Scotty Scheffler, previously the number one golfer in the world coming into the week, he's able to sneak in a great yeah. round on Sunday. And he's 10th. You got Sahith Tagala, who is such an easy yeah. guy to root for, a uh, second-year player on the tour. You had Cantlay in the mix. You had Victor Hovland in oh, the mix. They were great Right. If you were to look at that, the problem is, is now I look at a leaderboard, like at at a major, John, and I say, tour, live, tour, live. Exactly. And that's not the way to be. It should be, holy crap, all 10 names are marquee guys that have won either a lot on the tour or they've won a major. And and I wish that there were more open minds where you had more collaboration between the two tours. And I understand live wants the exclusivity to these guys and, PGA mostly wants the exclusivity. I understand that, but collaboration would be good. I mean, how great would it be if instead of the President's Cup, we always get the Riders' Cup, instead of the President's Cup, we got the Live versus the PGA players. Like, oh, my God. The ratings would be through the roof, as long as they didn't put it on the CW. Talk about an, an awesome get-up that would be for the game, right? So, yeah, I, I'm all about the competitive nature of it, but it does, I feel at least rub off negatively on live in that they will always be be viewed as the people that took away some of the stars from golf. And whether that's fair or not is, you know, that is what it is. It's semantics at that point. And by the way, guys, I encourage you, if you have a comment, leave a super chat. Uh, You're supporting the brand, supporting know your news, supporting out of bounds. We'll read your comments on air. All right, Miss Popsicle Queen. I know you're going off. I know they're leaking a little bit. I may need another napkin if my lackey hears me. All right, here we go. Going from the ice to the ice. (laughs) Yes. From yes, well said. Uh, Let's talk about the great state of Connecticut because what a week for the great state of Connecticut. First, the Yukon Huskies capture their fifth men's basketball title in their fifth men's basketball title since 1999. On cue, here's my napkin. And then, less than a week later. The men's hockey team captures, and by the men's hockey team, I don't mean the UConn Huskies. I'm referring to Connecticut's team, the Quinnipiac Bobcats, capture their first men's hockey NCAA championship in the same week. John, even beyond the fact that they make great pizza, is Connecticut the state of champions, if only in the month of April 2023? <laughs> I mean, uh, you you nailed it right there. I was just going to say, listen, I'm full disclosure, I'm a Quinnipiac alum. I may be the only Quinnipiac alum some of you have ever seen. It's a valid point. We actually have a lot down here in Florida. I was kind of surprised. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I was. I, I well, saw, well, at least in the news media world. I was so. going to say, you know, we, I, I've colloquially referred to Connecticut as pathetic over the years. But. Uh, not, you have not gone as far as to call it Rutgers North. I have not. Well, because that wouldn't make sense. But the pizza, you're right, is outstanding. Frank Pepe's pizza is uh, truly one of the most religious food experiences I've ever had in my life. But this is amazing. I, this really is. I mean, UConn. This is a squad, you know, Hurley's the man, right? Like everyone knows Hurley's the man. But oh, well, well. he's the man. 
but it's a great redemption story as well because he was the second best basketball player in his own household growing up. Sure. And he was the second best coach, if not third best coach in his own family for the longest time. Right. So he comes many people who I can tell you who were working with him when he was at Wagner believed all along. He was the best. He comes in. He's got former Quinnipiac men's basketball coach, Tom Moore on his roster, by the way, but uh, they come in and okay. Maybe UConn caught a little bit of a lucky draw with the final four, but they dominated in the NCAA tournament. They did. They were absolutely dominant. I got to talk about this hockey game. I know it, it takes a lot to get Mia to watch hockey in the first place, but this was I like going to games, but sure. I, I don't like the TV viewing experience isn't, you know, this was, and I mean this so genuinely without bias. This is one of the best hockey games you're ever going to see at the collegiate level. Uh, it was pace wise. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fantastic. Quinnipiac goes down two nothing in this game. In the second period, they add one. And then with a little over three minutes to go, Rand Pecknold, head coach, who's been there 29 years, started with them as a Division II program. On the power play, pulls the goalie. So Quinnipiac is six on four. Ballsiest move you're going to see. And it works. They score. They tie the game. And then 10 seconds into overtime, on an all-out blitz off the faceoff, Quinnipiac scores the game winner to win its first national championship. I'd love to hear your opinions on this. I... As an alum, it was great, but as an outsider, I mean, how exciting was that? Uh, so two things. One, uh, give us the Pecknell primer, because when I texted you and I said, damn, that was ballsy to pull yeah. the goalie, you were like, this must be your first time with the Pecknell yeah. experience. Yeah, Pecknell uh, has done this multiple times where he's kind of known to pull the goalie real early. In the 2013 National Championship game, a game that Quinnipiac should have slaughtered Yale in, after they destroyed Yale all season long, and Yale was kind of a Cinderella in that tournament, they fell behind early. They fell behind 3-1 in third, and with like seven minutes to go, Pecknell pulled the goalie and an easy empty netter for Yale that sealed the deal. And he's done this historically. So he did it in the national title game here, and it worked. It worked. Right. Oh, and so to, to which, to which, since you referenced it, about the Cinderella run for Yale back in 2013 that spoiled what would have been Quinnipiac's first NCAA championship in men's hockey. Is this David versus Goliath in Quinnipiac upsetting Minnesota, or were they closer? No, I mean, these are the two best teams. These are the two best teams in hockey this year. This is the number one seed and the number two seed. And Quinnipiac, I mean, dominated against the Big Ten teams in route here. Dominated Ohio State, dominated Michigan. Michigan is a prolific hockey Mm -hmm. program, and they beat them 5-2 in the Frozen Four. And then you had this Minnesota team, great offense versus a great defense. And in this case, Quinnipiac just kept the pedal to the metal and they were all in. I mean, the aggressive nature of play by Quinnipiac in this national championship game. There were players on Minnesota that didn't even know how to say Quinnipiac. And, and in Quinnip- one of Quinnipiac's first division one seasons, they played Minnesota and Minnesota won 11 to two. That was 20 years ago. My, how things change. I wish Ithaca had one or two sports that they were D1 in because I would love to experience this euphoria that you guys, because it's just, it's just cool. here's the thing is like, I mean, that's where Pecknell deserves all the credit in the world because he has built this program over the past 25 years um, because it might transition from D2 to D1. Um, but there's something to be said about hockey. And I think, cause I did watch a good amount of college lacrosse this weekend as well. Um, Certain schools, whether it's Johns Hopkins that competes in Division Three in football and then D1 for lacrosse and some other sports, or if it's Quinnipiac, which is a mid-major in, you know, 
in hockey in, in everything, but you know, obviously hockey competes with the big boys. Or even if you look at in the hockey ranks, if you look at an RPI or a St. Lawrence, where maybe some other sports they're D three, but for hockey, they're with the big guns. Yeah. And even when you look at Hopkins, like I mentioned in lacrosse, they play in the Big Ten. Yeah. So like that's what I think is so cool is like we hear Big Ten, we hear Power Five, we hear you know Hockey East or whatever it's called these like. And you immediately assume the Ivies, the Big Ten school. And it's like, no, there are other schools. Yeah. That's where I think the Quinnipiac, even if it's not a David versus a Goliath, I think the name brand makes oh, it yeah. fun. And now let's bring it full circle, John. What do you think was more fun taking your alma mater, you know, your affinity for your alma mater out of it? A Frozen Four that featured a school like Quinnipiac that certainly has name brand recognition, but I would put it on par with the San Diego State in basketball over the past decade or the final four featuring San Diego state. We got on the men's hardwood that people complained didn't have enough star power with Miami and Florida Atlantic. And then of course, UConn. I mean, I think anytime you get the two best teams in the country playing each other in a national championship game, that's always best for business. And like the game lived up to it. It was a fantastic hockey game. So I think anytime that you can get an opportunity to get the two best teams out there, you're going to take that opportunity, especially Quinnipiac, this is not a team that's loaded with future NFL draft stars. There are only a couple there, whereas Minnesota was loaded with them, as was Michigan, and they cruised through them. So I think it's a great story for sports on a great sports weekend. Uh, genuinely, if you haven't And it was seen... great because once the Masters got rained out, everyone go. was ready that's to watch. Right, yeah, so go out of your way if you haven't checked out the finish of that game. It was really fantastic. Uh, Mia, here's one that I know you've been waiting to talk about. That's true. I almost had a national title a few weeks ago. No. Oh. Goodness, you didn't even go to the school. We haven't, had partying. we haven't had a chance to chime in on the NCAA women's basketball fiasco. Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark, fantastic championship game. Great final four. Everything yeah, was awesome. Was I'm, I mean, Caitlin Clark is a superstar. Angel was tremendous. And a little controversy coming from our first lady here. Joe Biden's like, yeah, this was so great. Let's just invite both teams to the White House. And this comes amid some showboating controversy that really shouldn't even be a controversy in the first place. Uh, but I, I guess the question is begged to be asked, should Iowa have been given a White House visit here, Mia? Absolutely not. And that's coming from an Iowa fan. Like, I mean, and Lisa Bluter had, you know, the head coach of Iowa had the classiest and most apropos response, which was, yeah, that's reserved for the, cha for the champion. That's LSU's moment. If, the president and the first lady would like to come to our house, Carver oh, Hawkeye yeah. Arena. They're more than welcome to visit whenever next season. Like, that's the right response. That, for me, is where there's no argument. Like, like the presidential visit, like, push that to the side. I do have some issues, needless to say, uh, that may or may not have almost gotten me canceled about the celebration. Oh, so goodness. I, uh, listen... You're willing to get yourself potentially canceled over Iowa women's basketball. No, well, I, I am because it's Kim Mulkey. I will gladly get myself okay. canceled over, you know, not liking. Be careful what you wish for. A bad Go ahead. human being. Um, so, no. So, so here's the thing. I'm totally okay with Angel Reese shoving it back in Caitlin Clark's face. Well, Caitlin Clark's so that. That's fine. The following her around the court for like 25 seconds was kind of weird. That one, I was like, okay, we get it. You, you've made your point. Like. You're the third leading scorer in the championship game. I know you average a double-double, but, like, it's not like you litter up today. Um, the following her around was a little much. I thought that was a little weird. 
Um, but hey, listen, you know, she won. She wants to do a ring thing. She's been doing that for the last two games. That's fine. Um, but, you know, for me inherently, and this is nothing against Angel Reese, who transferred in from Maryland this year. I don't think she has to be necessarily connected to her head coach. If anything, we saw online and just throughout college basketball fandom, so many people were trying to separate what Kim Mulkey may or may not have done in her past and who this LSU team is, because to have a team of nine transfers win a national title is nothing short of incredible. Um, But yeah, the the fact of the matter is, is just that I don't like Kim Mulkey. Okay. Well, I get, I get it. And there's a lot of people that don't like Kim Mulkey, but on on the top, I think this argument of like, well, she lets her players, you know, she's so authentic in herself that she lets her play. no, like she lets them do what they want because she does whatever the hell she wants, which like, I don't know. Like, listen, man, it just, it, there's other things at play that rub me the wrong way. I said it to everyone. If anyone else was coaching LSU, I would have, whatever. You know what? It happens. So well, Angel Reese the, is a great player. She's an all American. That's fine. Like, As far as the topic at hand is concerned, I'll just say this, you know, I'm about banning the wave. I'm about banning baby shark. I think we should be banning White House, White House visits for teams because a, a great honor, I'm sure it is for many of them, but it's so selective. It's so selective as to who gets invited and who are we to value one championship over another? Like, guess what? Quinnipiac men's hockey is not going to get a White House invite just because that's not the case. And right. I'm glad the NCAA women's basketball champion is going to get an invite. That's great. But but even that term political then, even before Joe, well, like the Joe well, Biden thing, well, because right, then well, it's like, I want to go to the Obama. like, honey. Well, yeah. But, and then like, also like, I mean, president Trump didn't invite half the teams that president Obama was inviting. And like, like, so all in all, I just find it to be a totally unnecessary thing. Get a letter from the president sent to them. I think that's awesome. Like call it something like that. Like, are we inviting the NCAA rowing champions to the white house? No, we're not. And that's what I'm just saying. It's like, it's an unfair false equivalence amongst all these different teams because who's to say that an ncaa basketball champion earned that distinction more than the the hockey team or the wrestling team or the field hockey team you know it's just it's not it's not kosher as far as i see it you know what uh someone sent me a picture of during this whole controversy that i completely had wiped from my memory like much of um, the previous presidential administrations, the McDonald's. McDonald's. Someone sent it to me and they were like, can you ask Trevor next time? Like what he got? Because everything had to be a controversy back then. So yes. uh, And everything has to be political, unfortunately. And like, it's, it's unfortunate because I think it would be, you know, I, I, I like the concept of the presidential visit, but where do you draw the line, especially in 2023, you know, participation trophy. So. All right, we're moving on. I don't want to get canceled yet. Let's stay on the hardwood, though, John Alwa. Um, So we're going to hit the NBA, the association. Mikhail Bridges, my guy, Philly native. Uh, his draft night, by the way, was like the most heartbreaking for me because uh, his mom uh, worked in the 76ers organization and mm-hmm. got drafted by the 76ers, as you may recall, and then he got traded an hour later to the Phoenix Suns. Carved out a pretty nice career, though, with them before he was traded to Brooklyn this offseason, or excuse me, during this season in the Kevin Durant trade. Uh, so he already has played more minutes uh, with that core in Brooklyn uh, than James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant ever played together, so that's fun. And speaking of minutes, Mikhail Bridges has a 392 consecutive games played streak that is 
still ongoing after he notched his 83rd game played this year on Sunday. To do so, he checked in for four seconds, ate a foul, and then he checked out of the game. John, is this cheap or is that sensible ahead of the playoffs? Listen, I think Mikael Bridges is fantastic. I really like him a lot. I think he's like exactly the kind of player the Brooklyn Nets needed in the aftermath of a trade that gutted the franchise. This is pretty cheap. Like, like in this era of load management, this is pretty cheap. Man, well, so so here's, here's, here's what I want to say real yeah, quick. I'm, I'm willing to listen. So that's the 83rd game. The 82 which previously. Is which is, well, 83rd. What was the minimum in those 82? There's an 82 game season, keep in mind. So him playing in 83rd, he's. Oh, one sorry. Of that's what I meant. Yeah, sorry. No, no but I'm saying it, it is an accomplishment in itself that he's playing in an 83rd game because most guys don't get to play in 83rd game. Correct. But listen. I just want to say this. If Eli Manning, when he had his record streak going, if he came in for one snap, kneeled it, and then left the game, do you think people would be up in arms? Of course they would be if something like that happened. This happened for a team, the Brooklyn Nets, that are going to be a six seed, but realistically, they're going to struggle in these playoffs. This is not an actual NBA six seed that is at this juncture they're there because of what kevin durant did for them and bridges has played fantastic for them no doubt about it and so i understand wanting to be as healthy as you can going into the playoffs come on give me five minutes up and down the court you don't gotta touch the ball just if you touch it pass it and just jog and mosey up and down the court you don't gotta get physical it's the last game of the season it is a meaningless game you are already clinched where you're at but you got to give more than four seconds. Come on. Yeah, more than four seconds. I would have taken four minutes, but I also get trying in this situation again. And that's why I asked, do we know what his minimum minutes played in the 81 previous game right now? Right. I mean, was, but right. Like if this was the one game, he took four seconds. Like, is it, is it, is it like cheap? Yeah. But also the guy hasn't, unlike the rest of the NBA, he hasn't taken a night off. No, I mean, listen, he's he's averaged about 35 minutes per game this season, which is fantastic. But also, the fans are paying to see this guy play. And load management is a joke in and of itself. Like the NBA is changing these rules for a reason, the new CBA, where you have to, I think it's you have to play 65 games if you're mm-hmm. healthy to be eligible for an MVP Awards. award. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so like that's good. I'm all about that. I think but now this sets a precedent. It just yeah, it sets a precedent. Okay, he came in for four seconds, eight a foul, and he's gone. Well, so here's like my it. thing too is I don't remember seeing this with Cal Ripken during his streak on the baseball diamond. No, but, Cal Ripken played games. Right. But how different is this from in September if a baseball team has already clinched a spot in the playoffs and, you know, in, Brett Gardner comes in as a pinch runner? I'm not quite sure I understand. So, like, if one of the, if you're starting some of your younger guys because you've already punched your ticket to the postseason, sure. and then you just throw one of your older guys out there as a pinch hitter or a pinch runner. Well, he's he's there to contribute in that case. Like, if you're a pinch runner or you're a pinch hitter, you're contributing in some way. Mikel Bridges did not contribute at all. This was an opening he had a foul. This is nobody. He. Do you know why he fouled? He fouled to get off the court. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they won the they won the tip off. They got the ball, or they lost the tip off rather. And then four seconds later, he wrapped up the ball carrier for uh, the foul to get out of the game. 
that that's what happened. That's how this happened. So like, again, I think it's kind of cheap. It's semantics at this point. Is Mikael Bridges going to end some historic consecutive games played streak? In all likelihood, probably not. But it's okay. I'll give him the pass. 83 games in an 82-game season is pretty impressive. And for what it's worth, too, like, the, I mean, I'm looking at the net step chart right now, and I understand, you know, you don't have your Kevin Durant, if you may. Um, but, like, this is a halfway decent roster, at least of, like, guys that have played. They play hard. I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie back in Brooklyn. Yeah, they, Cam, awesome. they Puck, play hard. Uh, Puff Johnson's Johnson, older brother. Good. Yeah, they, Benny they, Smith, Nick Claxton. Tyron Sharp's not bad. Joe Harris, Seth Curry. Like, that's the thing is, like, it would be one thing if they had half their roster decimated by injuries and you're trying to preserve Mikael Bridges for the postseason. Like, then I really would have no issue with it. But, yeah, is it cheap? Yeah. But also, it's, it's the last game of the year and you're already in the playoffs. Let us know your thoughts, guys. KYNchat.com, or you can just go right into the comments section on YouTube. And if you leave a super chat, not a regular chat, you got to leave a super chat, then we will read your comment on air or answer your question on air. Let's keep the puck moving here, Mia O'Brien, as we go over to what's been going on with the Boston Bruins, because this has been an historic season for them. It's an NHL record with 63 wins in a regular season with two games to play still. They're one point back of the single season record for points. They've got 131. The 76-77 Montreal Canadiens had 132 it's not hyperbole to suggest that this might be the most impressive regular season team in history, not just NHL history, but in the history of American sports. But is that hyperbole, Mia? Can you suggest that there's a team that was more impressive in terms of regular season accomplishment? I would put the Golden State Warriors, the 2016 iteration, uh, pre-load management NBA. I would put them up against it. I would put the uh, Chicago Bulls squad of 98 um, with the win streak that the Warriors surpassed. Um, clearly pre-low management, I would put them up against it as well. Um, the bigger thing, though, you know, when you look at the impressive nature of the Bruins streak is simply because it's hockey. Um, yeah. and, and so, I mean, physicality is unmatched. Five guys, I mean, you need more than five guys. You're going 15, 20 guys deep. And so that speaks to true depth. Um, not that, you know, with less players actually seeing minutes in a rotation on the basketball court, that that's less impressive. Um, but if you have eight healthy guys, you can win a basketball game. You need 15 to 20 healthy guys to win a hockey game. And so um, that's where I think it's super impressive. Um, and moreover, I think the Eastern Conference um, in the NHL um, is comparable with that was, you know, the 2016 Warriors squad. That was really when we started seeing the, and nine. What's that? 73 and nine they were. Right. And that's really when we saw the rise of the Western Conference as we know it today in the NBA. And I would put it on par with kind of what we're seeing in the Eastern Conference in the NHL. And so, yeah, I think with hockey, it's more difficult because it's the ultimate team sport. And so, it's the ultimate so team sport and the physicality of it, right? Like, my favorite thing that we always hear after a team gets eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs, it's like, yeah, this guy played on a broken femur for three weeks. <laughs> it's like, and that always comes out after their season's over. And yeah, this guy, his ankle was backwards for the entire second half of the season. So that is one of the more impressive notes that comes with the Bruins' dominance. And I mean, they really have been fantastic. David Pasternak has been outstanding this season. Uh, they have been dominant. I do think they're vulnerable. I do think they can be beat. I don't think they were as dominant as that Warriors team was inside their bubble 
I mean, there are a lot of good teams in hockey this year, especially even a team like the Devils. I look at them and I mm-hmm. think they're a team that can give the Bruins. They just lost 2-1 to them. They're a team that can give the Bruins a run for their money. But it is an unbelievably impressive accomplishment. You know, when the Canadians did it, the level of play, the style of play was not what it is today in the NHL. These are elite athletes who play through injury that is unfathomable to people like you and I. I think the 98 Yankees have to be up there, 114 yep. wins. I, the 2001 Mariners, 100. I was just going to say, because the 2001 Mariners, depending but, on how this Bruins I, season I, shakes I, out, they could be compared to them yeah, for all the wrong reasons. I still think the 98 Yankees were a better team than the 01 Mariners. I think the 01 Mariners were in a weaker division, and that helped yeah. them kind of bully that a little bit. It's um, not really being that, but and, yeah. And, well, I mean, the 01 Athletics were the catalyst for Moneyball, but um, – but, I think the 98 Yankees, had they not had that slow 0-4 start, they probably would have easily surpassed that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. if you were to make the argument that this is the most impressive regular season we've ever seen from a team, I would not argue against it due to the nature of hockey. But as we always know, Mia, it comes down to how do you finish? How do you, that 2016 Warriors team didn't win at all. That, they blew a 3-1 lead. I've heard. The 2001 Mariners. They didn't win at all. And that's what defines you at the end of the day. If you, if you don't grab that trophy, if you don't grab, if you're not kissing the cup at the end of the season, well, what'd you fall for? Right. That's why the only other um, streak that I could suggest, I could, you know, throw out there that would compare. Um, and even then, given the lack of parity in women's basketball at the time, um, UConn's impressive, what, 182 consecutive game win streak. Um at that point they were playing in, or at least for part of it, they were playing in the American athletic conference. So it wasn't like they were competing against the big East, like UConn is now, um, which while not the sec or the big 10 is still a much more competitive women's basketball and, conference. And moreover, that was around the time that obviously Pat summit was forced to retire sure. because of early onset Alzheimer's. You really South Carolina didn't emerge. And then eventually ended that UConn streak alongside Mississippi state. Um, so Tennessee had taken a backseat. Those two were just beginning. Baylor and Kim Mulkey were around. But other than that, there was really no sheer, like no number one true no. competitor. Stanford existed, but they were right. off on an island. And so that would be the only other one that I look back and I say that's extremely yeah. impressive. Because it was a four-year four streak where they won every regular season game. I mean, the 07-08 Patriots, a team that didn't get the job done when the Miami mattered. Dolphins, 1972. But again, the game was a little different then. I don't know. I, I still I still think that does matter when you're talking about these. It's not apples to apples because of that. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, speaking of apples, how do you like these apples, John Alba? Um, Odell Beckham is going to go to Baltimore. Yes, the OBJ sweepstakes finally has come to an end. He signs a massive one-year, $15 million deal with the Baltimore Ravens, despite not having played in almost two years. But, of course, he was asking for that one-year, $14 million. This, of course, comes as Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson's future is in limbo with the Ravens, uh, franchising him with the non-restricted tag this offseason. John, is OBJ one step ahead of everyone else and he knows something we don't? Or is he going to get duped? by the Ravens and Lamar Jackson will not be his quarterback and he's going to be part of a rebuilding year. I think Lamar and OBJ are in a bit of cahoots here. I think, I think it's a, you scratch my back. I'll scratch yours kind of situation because Lamar knows he needs a big year this year in order to get that contract that he wants. And some could argue deserves Odell needs a big year to prove that he's beyond a one-year deal 
and can still go at a high level, even as he starts to creep past that prime that a wide receiver would have, especially one coming off the depth of injury that he had. So I do believe that OBJ might might be a little ahead of the curve here in terms of this thinking. I think this was a calculated plan. I don't think a lot of people saw the Ravens as being the team out of the gates here. To people bring were talking OBJ. about the Ravens trading up to number three to take yeah. the quarterback like yeah. last week. Right. So this tells me that the Ravens are in a little more of a win-now mode than I think a lot of people thought they were going to be. It tells me that the Jets something's going on there i don't don't know i don't know what it is because i think a lot of people thought odell was gonna end up with the jets and you know another team because of aaron Rodgers' wish list of which aaron Rodgers is still a member of the green bay packers correct so let the record show you know obj is bouncing around season by season to different teams at this juncture look i hope for his sake he's a talented athlete i hope for his sake that this works out for him is Lamar the most wide receiver friendly quarterback in the game? I'm not so sure about that. What's but he wants take? to prove that he is. What's your take, Miss AFC? Uh, my take is that Lamar himself posted the FaceTime selfies with OBJ um, before the Ravens did. Mm-hmm. So that says to me that he reached out to him, uh, which is which is a good thing. If you're a Ravens fan, you should be happy about this because that means as much as Lamar has asked for a trade, he is also still actively recruiting to your roster. Um, so maybe there is more at play than what we thought after Jim Harbaugh, sorry, not Jim, John Harbaugh's press conference last week, uh, in which they literally cut the mic of a reporter asking questions about Lamar Jackson, because quote, we're here to talk about the draft. And the guy said, how can I ask you about the draft? If I can't ask you about your quarterback. Um, so no, I think that Lamar will play. This says to me, Lamar will play. What's disheartening to me, John is, do you believe that the suggestions of collusion around the national football league and that, the NFL essentially ensured that no one was going to match the Ravens asking price and that there really was interest and that all these teams that suddenly, as soon as the non-restrictive tag was placed on, on Lamar, Oh, we don't have interest. We don't have interest. We, like, well, who does have interest in a former MVP? Like there's, there's gotta be somebody. Yeah, I mean, um, it was very sketchy, very sketchy. Right. And so that's where, that's the part that I feel bad if that really did happen that now Lamar is once again having to bet on himself and go play for less money just because for whatever the reason, the Ravens think they can control him. So Yeah. And again, there's, I could really go into it if you really wanted me to about how black. I was going to say, where's your book? I have it. Here it is. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you never gave that thing. By Howard Bryan. It's right here. It's literally sitting next to me. Heritage black quarterback versus what happens with a white quarterback but then i'll get everyone in my dms and i don't need that today my anxiety is off the roof is off the rails as is I so don't... i'll switch it to this then we'll talk on the field john um mm-hmm. is obj actually going to take lamar to the next level because last i checked how like they're all... how can we know mia like we we haven't seen the time we saw him he had one leg yeah and, and look he was good for the rams he was good. He he got the job done for them. He was good for but them. But he wasn't wide he receiver wasn't, one. No, he was a slot. He was a slot. And and they have a lot of slots. Slots on yeah. slots on slots. And what will Because Rashad Bateman, sorry, bro, you ain't a wide receiver one yet. And Devin DuVernay, James Prochet, like none of you are really doing it for me. So. And what will he end up being at this point? I don't know. I don't know. I hope he's a productive player who can contribute. Do I expect him to take Lamar to that e- epic number one quarterback contract uh, contract. No, I don't, I don't see that happening, but 
you hope for the best case scenario for all involved. And I'll tell you what, Mia, as we get to our last topic before the beast of the week, uh, this is a team where everything is going right all the way around the Tampa Bay Rays, your Tampa Bay Rays, Florida's baseball team. This team is unbelievable. They're off to one of the hottest starts in baseball history. They are nine and oh. They've outscored their opponents 75 to 18 in this pitch clock era. Is this, Mia, what it's finally going to take to get people to care about Tampa baseball? No. Why do you say still Because they still, I mean, what's the average attendance? It's still like hovering around 9,000, isn't it? So I'll post something to you. Like, it's great that they're playing great, and I think that's going to spark some interest in Tampa and in Florida maybe, but, like, they still don't draw. Like, I I don't understand it either because I like to think the state of Florida provides college baseball and Major League Baseball with how much talent each year. There are so many young baseball players in this state, yet no one wants to go see the Rays. I will will pose this to you, okay? Let's say that we are in an era right now where teams are, or I should say fans rather, are starting to change. The demographics of the fans are starting to change. Now, whereas the last 20 years of raised baseball, it was primarily transplants who were growing up fans. Now, in this era, you're going to see more fans that are native to the Tampa area and central Florida grow up with the Rays being really good. And like, they've been pretty consistently good since 2008, but at this level, I mean, this is all time great level we're talking about here. And I think Mia with sustained play like this, we'll start to see the demographics change and start to see more sport. Look what's happened with the Tampa Bay lightning. I think that's, that's your, your case study right there. Go ahead. Interject. The difference between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Tampa Bay Rays. The Lightning's roster, as much as, yes, there's been turnover, looks a lot like the team that claimed the 2021 Mickey Mouse uh, Stanley, or 2020, excuse me, bubble Stanley Cup. The Rays have a tendency, and we are even seeing it despite this 9-0 start, in which, mind you, they probably have beaten the three worst teams in the majors, um, on the way to nine and zero, in the A's, the Tigers and the nationals, but this is a raised team. And this is a philosophical point in sports, John, that I want to get into um, the Rays. I mean, the, the Rays let their top talent walk every year just to stay under the, the threshold, to stay under the luxury tax, to stay under a certain payroll threshold. So they don't oh, have they're to going pay. under the luxury tax. There's never been an issue with the Rays. Yeah, there's never been an issue with them with the luxury tax. The point is, is that, with the Rays, they are banking on everyone caring about the name on the front of the jersey as opposed to the name on the back of the jersey. The fact of the matter is, is that people go to Yankee Stadium to watch the Yankees, sure, because of the name brand and the name on the front of the chest and the pinstripes, but there are also a lot of people that go because they want to see Aaron Judge. I get that. And so but that I is where her. you look at this Rays roster, and it's great that Wander Franco and Randy Rosarena are emerging stars in this game, if not already established. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, when Wander Franco, or not Wander Franco, because he did get paid, but like when a Rosarena, Wander, I say Wander Franco got yeah. paid. But when a Rosarena is up for contract and he asks for a lot of money, just like so many great raised pitchers over the past decade, 
They let him walk and say, whatever, we draft well, we're going to have another kid come up. And that's great because here's the thing. One more thing. The New England Patriots did that during Tom Brady's reign. Sure. For 20 years because he was the name brand and all the the players around him changed because it didn't matter. They drafted well. They'd plug and play. They'd turn converted lacrosse players into football stars. Everything was fine. The Rays are doing that, but in terms of, like, I mean, until you start winning World Series, like, the Patriots are winning Super Bowls, you can't just rest on the laurels of, here's our name brand, because the Rays are not a name brand. I mean, I don't disagree with any of that. I, I understand entirely, and I've been outspoken. Stu Sternberg, the owner of the Rays, I, I think he's a cheap owner. I do. They're going to be getting a new ballpark. It looks like they're going to be staying in that general area, which I think is good for the franchise at the end of the day. They did pay Wander Franco. Wander Franco is the first homegrown star that they have paid at that level, maybe ever. And they've existed. Of- I was saying, they've been in existence yeah. for 25 years, yeah. 26 years. So, again, I, I think that that might be a sign that, hey, if, if we do develop a superstar, and this was before Franco was even fully developed, they gave him this right upon his debut, basically. They're like, you're going to be the guy. And he's been amazing. Now, Rose Reyna has developed himself into a star, absolutely 100%. The pitching's great. I want to bring up a point. This is remarkable here about the Tampa Bay Rays. The highest run differential through the first nine games in Major League Baseball history, the Rays have the third highest, plus 57, okay? Next are the New York Gothams at oh, plus 63 in 1884. And then in the same year, 1884... Keep in mind, 20 years. It was a removed. benchmark, landmark year. 20 years removed from the Civil War. We're talking about the St. Louis Maroons plus 78. No one has Maroons, done this. of course, of course. No one has done this since. So what the Rays are doing is really special right now. They're scary. I, I hope they sustain it because that area needs it. The franchise needs it. And those players need it. So. Uh, we will see. So, Let's see what happens when they have to play the rest of the AL East. We'll see, which is pretty good, all things considered. Honestly, the Orioles. Are I mean, I was gonna say the Orioles are. And the the, Orioles this are is not your mother's Orioles of the two thousands, and this is not your mother's Blue Jays either. So no, the Blue Jays are the years of the Yankees okay. and Red Sox having gimme series in Toronto and Baltimore have passed. Very much so. All right, beast. Of the week, we want to know what was the wildest, most impressive or incredible person or feat that you saw in sports this week, Mia. What is your beast of the week? I'm going to stay on the baseball diamond, John Alba. I'm going to head to double A. Okay. You know where I'm going with this. Give it out. The Chattanooga Lookout scored seven runs in one inning without recording a hit. They win it 7-5 despite being no hit by the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Unbelievable. Only in minor league baseball. How can you not be romantic? So here was actually the seven-inning game. So it's a seven-inning game, as all minor league doubleheaders are. The Trash Pandas were up 3-0, heading into the seventh. The lookouts of Chattanooga went walk, walk, pop out. So we got one out. Walk, bases are loaded. Strikeout, still 3-0, with with one out left in the game. So there's actually two outs left in the game. That's wrong. So two outs left in the game. Another walk, so they walk in a run. Error, two-run score. Now it's 3-3. Hit by a pitch. Loads the bases again. Hit by a pitch. Hit by a pitch again. Walk, wild pitch. Runs the score to 7-3. Hit by a pitch, strikeout. Amazing. It's fantastic. 
But yeah, the poor trash pandas who have one of the best, most iconic names in minor league baseball. Unfortunately, despite a no hitter, still lose the game. My beast of the week is going to be the Minnesota Timberwolves. I mean, oh, yeah. We got brawl out going on in the final games of the regular season, costing yourself your postseason essentially in a nutshell here. Uh, Rudy Gobert and Kyle Anderson getting in a fight. We've got players breaking their hands, punching the walls in frustration. This is unbelievable. Talk about timing, right? Like, and we know Rudy is Rudy and he's got his history of being Rudy, but Kyle Anderson and himself, a Jersey boy, and he uh, has found himself at the contra- the center of controversy as a leader, apparently, on this team. There's so much talent on that Timberwolves team. So to see them falling apart right before the finish line, oh, you just hate to see it. They are my beast. Of the week. Conspiracy theory. Let's hear it. Who do the Timberwolves have to play tomorrow in the play-in? I thought you were going to talk about Alex Rodriguez being the owner there. And No, that yeah. would... Ooh, I like that. I like because where your head's at, Johnny boy. I was going to uh, say, no. I feel like you're... Uh, <laughs> you're trying to get things going. Yes, they've got uh, they've got those Los Angeles Lakers in the 10-7. Which is why my head is now connecting the dots. And maybe LeBron called in a favor to A-Rod. Mm. And they're actually going to be producing a new Netflix series next year. And this was the trade-off because LeBron needs to at least get to the second or third round of the playoffs just to feel like he accomplished something with the AARP team. And this is A-Rod saying, hey, here you go. Throw you a bone. Good Help day. me out. Throw me some money. Because, you know, obviously A-Rod uh, was struggling to finance the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Minnesota Lynx. So uh, maybe LeBron and uh, his production company are going to throw A-Rod a bone. This has been Out of Bounds. Another week here on the Know Your News Network. Good to be back. Glad to see you back. Mia, anything else you want to throw out there? Uh, no, except for, uh, you know, this is now the – interesting three weeks before the NFL draft that we are approaching. And so a lot of baseball and then of course, NBA and Stanley cup playoffs beginning. Although let's be real with like, you know, the play ins fun. Are you going to be watching any of the play in? Probably. I like the play in. I think I like the play in like, I'll watch it, but also like then once we, you know, start having best of series, like I'll watch, but like it's still early playing. So I'm, I'm all about high still early in the playoffs. So I'm very curious to see uh, where sports fandom uh, turns its attention to before the NFL draft, the end of the month. Guess we'll keep you up to date here on Out of Bounds. We will see you next time. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I click the subscribe button. You really should, too. If you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.